اهلا وسهلا انا كنت هو راندي سوري اي سبيك ا تايني بيت اوف ارابيك ام دكتور كنت اند ذس از راندي بيكر انا دكتور كنت سيد وير اون لي ثوت ليدر بودكاست ام راندي بيكر اند وي جو تو سم بريتي ويرد بلايسز سمتايمز توداي وي وينت تو سيدني استراليا Yeah, that's not that weird. Sydney well, is, isn't that kind of a normal place? Sydney's kind of normal, but it's had a problem with COVID. And we want to talk a little bit about COVID and about freedom and about, well, you need to listen to the this interview. We're talking with Wasim Dabusi, and I suspect he's something of a libertarian. Yeah, and the, the, the thing I was most interested in was his take on the difference between crypto and blockchain because I'm, I'm fascinated about how people use those two terms interchangeably and in this interview he was pretty specific which was fascinating now we started off the interview talking about with Wasim talking about what happened to him as a result of COVID and I suspect there's a lot of people in that situation and you might like to find it very interesting you will find it very interesting as to how he got out of that situation And just a disclaimer, we probably have to do disclaimers because we don't want to offer any financial advice or anything like that. Or we certainly don't recommend that you just take any of his advice or our advice. But it is really fascinating to learn about these, these new things and think about different ways of making money, accruing money, sharing money, saving money, buying candy bars with Bitcoin. Or even a pizza. So let's go straight <laughs> to the interview. This is Wasim Dabushi. Nice to talk with you, Wasim. And right behind you, of course, our listeners can't see it, but there's this sort of light show going on. Do you want to <laughs> describe what folks might be seeing when they come and visit you in your office? Uh, well, one of the things for me is when I came out of, um, obviously, what I, the challenges I've been through through COVID was... I've been really working on my own mindset and yeah, making sure that I have the right environment for me that makes me feel comfortable working. So I've set my office up in a way that, you know, it's a bit of a, looks like a sanctuary for me. I can spend hours in here just sitting down and I've set it up with lights and, and TV with, um, with some loop videos happening in there. So whenever I feel that I need a bit of a break from the screen or sometimes when I'm on my phone calls, I just sit on my couch and just enjoy the ambience of my office. That's worked for me. I believe that if you are going to work, you know, when you're working, you should have an environment that you love. And my office is an environment that I love. I'd never want to go back to a normal office anymore with this. <laughs> love that. How would you describe kind of the normal office kind of came from uh, or the sort of background you started up within? Um, well, the thing is I've been, um, I've been working from home for about 12 years now because I've been in Salisbury before this. But the normal corporate offices, I just find them cold and dry and they're very boxed and, you know, you've got to fit into that atmosphere. And I've never been the guy that fit into corporate, which is probably one of the reasons why I got out of corporate. I just don't find them warm and, and inviting. So it's been a particularly interesting last 18 months in Australia, particularly. COVID did some 
pretty interesting things over there. Not so much people getting sick as um, some economic damage happens, some loss of freedoms. Mm -hmm. Can you share what happened to you, what your experiences have been? Um, yeah, I mean, look, definitely the, the economic stress and the loss of freedoms had a massive, massive impact on me. I was a gym owner at the time before uh, when COVID hit. And I remember, yeah, it was the 19th of March, 2020, and I received a phone call from my mortgage broker. And um, she said to me, she goes, did you know that your accounts are in hardship? And I was quite surprised. I'm like, what do you mean? I've never applied for hardship. She goes, well, they are. And you've got over $30,000 in arrears. What turned out to have happened to me was someone made a mistake at the bank and stopped the direct debits, and I was never informed. And having direct debits, you know, the whole idea of direct debits, so you set and forget. And then, you know, previously, if there was ever a mispayment, I'd get a phone call, I'd get it, you know, we'd get it rectified and whatnot. But for six months, I didn't get a phone call. So that was the first blow that happened to me. It was like three days before the, the country shut down. And the 21st of um, March 2020, the Prime Minister of Australia goes on TV, shuts the country down and shuts the business, my business and my income with it. And that was kind of my second blow. And moving forward, you know, as the blows kept coming, so did the, you know, the debt associated with them and feelings of hopelessness, worthlessness, despair, helplessness. And it just kept on piling on. And I tried, and I worked really hard on trying to rebuild my coaching business while my gym was shut down. But the banking system, the landlords, the franchisors, end of the day, they're in it for their pocket. So, you know, being, being the guy at the bottom of the barrel, we had to pay out what, what we owed them, even though we had no income. Uh, we were stuck in contracts. You know, the banks in Australia have been very, very deceptive in their wording and talking about, you know, you know these uh, deferred payments. And they, they were really sucking people into these deferred payment systems where people were under the impression that during during the time when they weren't working or their income was down, they didn't actually have to pay, which was true in a sense. But what they failed to make it obvious for people, unless people really dug in, was a deferred payment was just kicking the can down the road. So when we when we reopened up, it wasn't just a matter of having to rebuild the business. We had to pay, you know, three, four months worth of debt on top of the ongoing expenses. At having a gym, a lot of people were not ready to go back to to the gym after after the first lockdown. So I, I want to jump in just there, Wasim, and and explore a little bit. People who had their had their mortgages like yourself and deferred payments, who did they think was going to cover the cost of those mortgages that were missed, those payments that were missed? Well, why, why did people think that this was somebody else was going to pay for this? Well, it wasn't. People didn't think somebody else was going to pay for this. The way the banks worded it, it, it came across as a whole period where you don't have to pay your mortgage during that period while the shutdown is happening and you go back to paying it. What they didn't make clear was the interest was still going to be accumulated during that time and you have to pay the interest. You know, I always thought, look, I, I, I didn't fall into that trap because, you know, I did my research and I realized that this is just interest being added on and we tried to pay as much as we can with what we could. Obviously, you know, we, during the lockdown period, there was a lot of payments that we couldn't pay. So there was some, you know, even though we took on the deferred payments, we still tried to pay as much as we can throughout that time to reduce the interest. But a lot of people who are not educated in the financial system and understanding this, they were, you know, they were given advice. Like I know people who were working at banks and friends of mine that were given scripts that the scripts were worded in ways that 
made it sound like these payments during the lockdown don't have to be paid and you just go back to payment. Even They made it sound like a payment-free period. They didn't make it sound like someone had to pay it, but it sounded to the general public who weren't financially literate that it was a, it was a freeze on their payments for three months. But that wasn't the case. And that's where a lot of people got caught out. So that's, that's a really good word, financial literacy. Mm. And you're, you're now uh, talking crypto, you're talking education, you're talking freedom yep. from the banking system. Um, how do you educate people about crypto? How do you, because certainly a lot of people understand there's an investment return opportunity there, but very few people actually understand what crypto is and why it's a good bet, if it's a good bet. Yeah. Excellent question, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about educating people on crypto and and being able to take full control of their finances so they don't have to rely on banks or anybody else for that matter. The idea of crypto started out back in the 90s. People don't know this. A lot of people don't know the, the history of it. And it was with the idea of, or the first time the blockchain technology was developed. And then in the late 1990s, a bunch of you know, libertarians, if you want to call them that, which they probably, they were, they were a bunch of libertarians and cryptographic experts were fed up with the banking systems, were fed up how much money the banks made versus how much money people made when they saved their money with the banks. So they went out to find a way in which they can do digital cash. And the biggest challenge with digital money is that, you know, we all know with anything digital, you can easily copy it, you can screenshot it, it's easy to copy. So the biggest challenge when it came to digital money was how do you stop overspending and double spending? And there was no technology prior to the blockchain that would actually resolve that issue. But the blockchain technology, which is the underlying technology that enables crypto, when when that when that was developed, it was all about you know, once an entry goes in, it can't be modified, it can't be deleted. It's like a, it's like an accounting ledger. Entry goes in, entry goes out. So all the transactions are recorded in a blockchain. But once they're in the blockchain, they can no longer be altered. So if I send you, for example, you know, a certain amount of um, a Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency I'm using, let's say I send you $100 worth of Bitcoin, then the blockchain will record that I've taken that money out of my wallet and put it into your wallet. So I can't go back and respend that money anymore. Um, so that's the idea of crypto. This is the biggest breakthrough that it actually stops double spending. That's number one. Number two is a decentralized network. So what that means is our current financial system is centralized, meaning the bank controls all your data, the bank controls how much money goes in, they take a fee every time you, you take your you, you, know, you use your money, you use your card, etc. But they control all the data. With crypto, especially Bitcoin, it's a decentralized system, meaning that there are computers all around the world that house the same information. So if one computer goes down, the other computers can defend the network. This decentralization actually means that nobody owns Bitcoin. Nobody owns cryptocurrencies. It's actually people's money and the network owns it. So the stronger the network gets, the stronger the cryptocurrency becomes. So now we're, t- we're talking about a real people's money that is you know, not owned by anyone, not controlled by anyone. Free market is what really... Um, determines the price of Bitcoin by supply and demand. Bitcoin has only 20 million Bitcoins that will ever be created and mined. So that means there's a limited supply, unlike the dollar, which you know we can see over the past 18 months, two years, money printing has gone through the roof. Uh, you know, in fact, the, the M2 money supply, which the American government used to um, obviously publish, they they no longer publish that. 
they no longer publish the empty money supply because they're printing so much money. So, yeah, as you know, anybody that knows anything about economics, supply and demand tells you that the more you have something, the, the less it's worth. So that's the biggest difference. I hope that answers your question. So I'm, so I'm curious. What I think is interesting about the conversation thus far is that I haven't seen too much about you that's different than others yet. So the way you look is different mm-hmm. and cool and very calm and very peaceful. The, the light is very different. The way you talk about cryptocurrency is similar to what I've heard others talk about. What makes you and your company a bit quirky or different or unique or weird when it comes to education? That's a good question. Um, I've never actually thought about that. What makes us quirky? Outside of the fact that everybody in, in crypto is kind of quirky. Yeah, well, that's just me. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah. in terms of a brand, like what do you kind of see uniquely differently than other folks in that space? Well, first of all, uh, we're definitely, we're, we're, for us, crypto is not just about making money. For us, we are in crypto for the fundamental movement of crypto, which is creating a better world. So let me pause on that because I, I think the, the blockchain cryptocurrency, you're saying cryptocurrency because a lot of people will just kind of say, oh, yeah, crypto, that's for all those um, folks who are just trying to make a bunch of money. The blockchain is what really matters. But you're saying the cryptocurrency part of it, the actual financial part of it, that's that's the value. Yes, because crypto is not just when people start to understand the fundamentals of what crypto is, I mean, as I started, it started off as a libertarian movement. And crypto has done so much good in the world. Um, you know, for example, you look at a, at a currency like Cardano, the guy that owns Charles Huskinson, who's the founder of Cardano, his main focus is Africa, you know, and he wants to change the, the landscape in Africa and give people a fairer system where they have fairer voting, they have better access to financial systems. If you look at the United Nations resolutions for financial sustainability in the future, they talk about that access to financial services is a big, big factor. The challenge is over 2 billion people in the world don't have access to to basic banking systems. And crypto gives people access to a financial service that they they wouldn't usually have access to. That That is my reason for crypto over the money. You know, yes, it helped me get out of, you know, after I lost everything, it's helped me build my wealth again. But it's not just about that. It's about creating a fairer world. There are so many projects in crypto, like I just gave you, you know, Cardano is one of them, where they're looking and working with Nigeria, creating new digital IDs where people's IDs can't be copied, you know, people's identities can't be stolen, where people's property rights can't be stolen. So we're talking about a fairer world that's going to come out by us moving into crypto. And a lot of people don't understand that. And for me, that's what crypto is about. So crypto has got a a very interesting history, for want of a better word. It's been used to transfer funds for everything from smuggling to sex rings to drugs to illicit gambling to everything. It's been used to avoid taxes. It's a... You can use it to buy candy bars and things. Yeah, I mean, that, that guy bought a pizza with his Bitcoin way back in the day. It has a reputation that scares away old grey-haired people like myself mm-hmm. who, although we crave freedom and individuality and we support 
libertarian views, we don't want to be associated with the reputation that um, crypto has. That's one side of it. The other side is that there's a lot of crypto millionaires who go around sprouting their crypto wealth and their Lamborghinis and telling everybody to get into it and shilling for it. It costs like between five and 10 grand to actually create a, a cryptocurrency, quarter of a million dollars to market it. And the plan is you do that, you make a million dollars off it, and then you just let the coin collapse because there's no inherent value in it. So what do you say to those people who are cynical and talk about the fact that they understand that blockchain may have an inherent value. We can see that there's some value there and that it's going to change the world. But a lot of the coins, particularly the shit coins, have no value and are only based on people's drive and greed to make money quickly by buying and selling investments of no value. It's like the the dump schemes of the 70s, the, the stock schemes. What do you say to those folk? Look, as, as someone who's passionate about crypto, I also have to face these challenges and have to say, look, everything you said has some merit. You know, yes, crypto originally was used a lot in the dark web back in the, in the early times. Yeah, but the question to me, or the question I would pose to people that are just focusing on that, you know, if you look at the American dollar, for example, Every Ameri- almost every American dollar has a trace of cocaine on it. Almost every American dollar, there's jokes about it being down a stripper's, um, you know, stripper's G-string and whatnot. So the reality is criminals will always find a way to expose and exploit anything that they can. Criminals still use the dollar more than they use crypto. And initially, although crypto, yes, was used for that, the reality is any transaction that, cri- that is done on the blockchain is visible to everybody. So as technology progresses, people will no longer be able to do that. Um, let me, I, I'm going to jump in right there and question that because it's every transaction is recorded and can be seen, but nobody knows who is behind those personas, that the, the names that are being used. That's correct. So that's, I, that's correct. So it's not. It's not. It's not totally transparent. It, it, I, yeah. You know, a transaction has occurred. You don't know between whom. Yes. So that's really interesting. Let me redirect that to you, Wasim, because I I love where this conversation's going. I'm curious how you feel as someone who is named Wasim Wasim. Sorry, I'll say Wasim because yeah. I have a friend Wasim Wasim Dabusi. That's your actual name. That's actually you as a human being. I'm looking at you right now versus the metaverse and personas. And like Randy was saying, the obfuscation that that seems to be so prevalent. Yeah, I mean, where are things going? What what are your thoughts around all of that anonymity and, yeah. and humanness and I guess all of that? Yeah. Look, I mean, Randy's got, again, um, I, I agree with Randy that these are challenges in crypto. They're not challenges that we, we're not facing. The reality is those anonymity and those transactions, when the government or, or any, let's say, let's say someone uses crypto for illegal purposes and they're doing it enough and then they get found out. There's still a lot of people that use the dark web get caught even though they use crypto because as technology gets better, you know, authorities will have ways to identify where these wallets are coming from through technological forensic investigation. 
So as long as you're not doing anything wrong, you've got nothing to worry about. In terms of you know, pseudo-personas, we've had that since the beginning of the internet. It's nothing new. You know, as technology got better, we were able to identify people. You know, so my, my view is whatever technology there is, there's always going to be people who are going to explore it for, for, the, for the no good, but there's also people going to use it for the good. And when we look at crypto overall, that, major, that minority, I should say, that use crypto for illegal activities is so small compared to a $3 trillion market. And it's the media that focuses on that because the, the, the media's job is to fill news. If we look to look at the history of the internet, back in the mid-90s, so many media outlets, even News Weekly, I think Times News Weekly was, or News Weekly, said the internet was going to fail and no one will ever, I think their quote was, no, no, no computer, no CD-ROM will ever, will ever replace a teacher, no, pro, no database will ever replace the government, et cetera, et cetera. And no one will ever want to buy, want to read a magazine online. 11 years later, News Weekly is only available online. It's no longer, long, long, no longer available in print. Whenever there's a new technology and there's a revolution happening, which is what we're going through right now, it is a financial revolution, there's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be two sides of it. And yes, the reality is, and I agree 100% with Randy, there's a lot of shit coins out there. There's a lot of people who shield these shit coins. They do rug pulls. There's a lot of scammers out there. We're still in the wild, wild west. I'm not saying that crypto is a safe investment. If you're a newbie, this is why we do what we do in our business. We educate people to how to get into crypto safely and ethically, how to invest in tokens that will be here for the long term. You know, things like Cardano. Like I said to you, Cardano has got a very good roadmap. Solana. But then you get, you get, you know, these people that just want that inner for the money. And hey, I got, I'll, I'll be honest, 2017, my first experience with crypto was a scam and I lost $8,000. So one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about educating people to have security in place, know what they're investing in, understand how to take profit, learn, the, 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 have the financial literacy to benefit from it because it is the way of the future. And if we do it right, it's up to people like us to promote the good in it and promote good things that can be done with it. So in time, we can get rid of those people who are using crypto for for just scamming people or legal purposes. So when you were a little kid, were you into computer games? Were you stacking coins on? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to <laughs> what, was, what was your, your big dream when you were a little kid? I actually want to become a psychologist. That was my biggest dream. I, I actually got into uni for psychology. I was um, admitted. I was accepted for psychology. And on the day of enrolling, my um, my family decided that it wasn't the right path for me and really persuaded me to go down the tech and do technology and do IT. I've always had a passion or an interest in IT. I'm always, I've been, a, I'm not a big gamer. I don't claim to be a gamer, but I'm an early adopter. So whenever there's a new phone or a new device or, you know, a new technology, I like to play around with it. But that's more of a hobby for me. But my parents thought this would be a great way for me to get into work. So I did an IT degree for four and a half years. I worked in IT for a year and then got out. And then my journey has been following personal development and psychology and and that's been my big, big passion in life, personal development, psychology, the w- understanding why humans do what they do. And like I said, crypto was something that I wasn't even, even when I lost everything due to COVID, you know, we, we faced financial ruin, our business went under, we lost our family home, uh, I had depression, everything. And crypto was the last thing I was going to look at. 
it just kept on coming at me from one one avenue to another. People told me, check out crypto, check out crypto. I'm like, I've lost money in crypto. I don't want to look at this. I just want to go get a job, put food on my family's table and find a way to rebuild. But one night I was just sitting here. I, uh, my assistant actually signed me up to a crypto webinar and I was sitting trying to work out well, how I'm going to deal with these banks and all these um, emails to deal with, lawyers and whatnot. And a reminder came up on my tablet for this webinar and something deep down, deep down inside me said, have a look, you know, you've got to change your focus, you're stressed out, take your time off the computer and just watch this. So I to myself, you know, what the hell, I've had a big day, I'm going to turn this on, I'm going to leave it in the background, continue working. So I turned it on, kept it in the background, continue working, 15, 20 minutes into the webinar and I was glued to the webinar because everything this man was talking about was exactly what I've learned from people like Robert Kiyosaki, you know, all the big gurus and talk about inflation and collapse of the dollar and whatnot. So I turned around, started researching it, and then I feel really, I feel down the rabbit hole for the next two or three months where I just glued on my computer, watching, reading, and, and learning as much as I can about crypto. So going one step further back, so you were an immigrant to Australia. Yeah. So where where did you grow up? What was what was your first your first experiences, your mom and dad, where, where did you come from? Yeah, so I'm Lebanese. I'm Lebanese. I was born in Lebanon, in Tripoli, Lebanon, so northern Lebanon. And we came out to Australia in 88. I was 10 years old at the time. So I've been in Australia now 33 years. Or, yeah, 33 years. Tehki Arabi? Yeah, Tehki Arabi. Tehki Arabi? Shwaiyib. Shwaiyib. Mashallah. أنا ما كنت في لبنان. آه كنت في لبنان. بأي بأي منطقة؟ لا لا بفلسطين بس. آه في فلسطين. Sorry, we gotta stop speaking Arabic. That's, that's my limited <laughs> Arabic. I love so. that. Wow, I love that. أهلا <laughs> وسهلا. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so I, I I don't speak Arabic, but I do speak business. So, um, <laughs> I'm wondering, Wasim, about your your marketing businesses. Do you still have that one, the, um, the sales ninja business? The sales ninja business? Yeah. I don't know where you saw that. I help entrepreneurs become sales and marketing ninjas. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the, so, yeah, well, look, what, with me, what happened, obviously, when, when I lost everything. So that was a business I was running for about a year and a half before COVID. Mm-hmm. And... When things started going down and my mental health went down, I was in no place. I was in no position to coach anybody, so that business came to a halt. Um, it's, oh, you know, that's I, sad. I, sorry I, to hear that. So I, I, you know, now it it is the coolest. It is about the coolest logo of anybody I've ever seen because the logo looks like you <laughs> and it has a W in it, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, to answer your question, Randy, I'm no longer running that business. It was something I was building until. Until, uh, until I obviously my mental health went down and you know and I I was hoping to come back into it but then when I discovered the crypto opportunity I realized that this is a big opportunity for me and to help people to create better, bigger impact in the world so I decided to follow that path so what is that path to kind of continue Randy's statement and to kind of wrap up this interview in some ways we like to keep it pretty short what are you trying to do now? What projects are you supporting or what kind of clients are you looking for or uh, what kind of education are you doing? Where can people find you? Perfect. Thank you for that, Kent. Um, look, in terms of what project we're supporting, we, we don't really have any affiliation to a particular project. We are crypto enthusiasts and we support any project that we believe has long-term value and has substance behind it. 
We don't support shit coins. We don't support meme coins. We don't play that game. We look for genuine projects that are actually making a change in the world. And that's what we educate our members about. In terms of people finding out about us, they can check out our, our website, breakoutsolutions.com. If you want, I can supply you with an educational video that you can put in the show notes and, um, and the link for people to book a session with me to have a discussion. But our, our goal is to help people break out of debt. And yeah, our big, hairy, audacious goal is to help 100,000 people break out of debt and enter a world of freedom, prosperity by 2031. And we want to do that through the digital asset space. So, you know, we do things like not just crypto, we do NFTs, we do decentralized finance, we educate people about gaming. Gaming is going to be a massive, massive part of crypto as more gaming, more games move onto the blockchain. People can start, yeah, in the Philippines, people with COVID and lockdowns, a lot of people turn to gaming to be able to feed their families, you know. So there's a lot, there's massive opportunities and we're still in the very early stage. We've only gone past 15% adoption in crypto. So. And in 10 years, but by 2031, we're all going to be a bunch of brains in jars attached to computers. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's everything's going that direction with, with, uh, you know, Zuckerberg and the metaverse. I don't, you never know what's going to happen. It's been so so much fun talking with you. Okay. I think we just scratched the surface of all this, but it was it was fun to just kick the ball back and forth. No, thank you. And Randy, I really want to thank you for the hard hitting questions. It's important that people ask those questions because that's what's on people's mind. And it's important for us to answer those questions to give people the true answer, not just what they're reading. So keep them coming, mate. And I appreciate you asking the hard hitting questions. Uh, thanks for saying I I appreciate your your honesty and your your openness, and I love your passion, man. That's um, you know one of the things I have seen in the crypto world is people are passionate about it. Now, some of those people are there to scam you, and they're passionate about scamming you, but most of them are passionate about what they're what they're building, what they're creating, what they're doing. So mm. it's a it's a very interesting space. Thank you. So last comment, and this is weird. But I had a teacher in Jerusalem, uh, Omar Othman. I hope he's well. I, I haven't heard from him in a while. But he taught me a phrase. Uh, I have to verify with someone that this is a phrase people say because no one has ever verified it. I've, I've, I've asked hundreds of people who speak Arabic and they're like, never heard that phrase. So I'll try it. Bukra fil mishmesh. Bukra fil mishmesh. That sounds like a slang word that they use locally. Um, it's a well, mish, mishmesh supposedly is apricot. You, you probably is what apricot, like the fruit, oh, yeah, yeah, mishmash, but, yeah, yeah. But it's like tomorrow in the apricot. Does it say anything to you? Does it mean anything to no, you? I don't think I've heard that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. I swear, yeah. I swear he made it up. He's just he's <laughs> laughing every day, every time you ask a question. <laughs> So there we go. Tomorrow in the apricot. <laughs> yeah, it's like sending somebody out to buy a can of striped paint. Exactly. Thank you very much, Wes. Thank you, guys. And thank you very much for this opportunity. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Wasim. We went to a lot of places today. We went to the dark web. We went to banking industry we went to pre-covid and post-covid sydney australia we even did a shout out to satoshi you know my um he lived i think he lives two three doors down 
Um, I, no, he lived this, next door to me. <laughs> he had this, this big, um, like, impenetrable uh, steel room in the back of his house. Maybe that's where he keeps all his Bitcoins. I don't know. Yeah. But, it, you know, this Wait. was a fun conversation. It it started out a little bit slow because, I mean, it, it, it's hard talking about things like financial ruin and failure and, and things that happen to us as adults and it's really neat to kind of hear Wasim's inspirational journey and that he's helping people in the way he knows how now helping people we all love to help people and one of the things we well, like I don't know if I would say that you think everybody wants to help people no not everybody some people want to want to scam people but most well Maybe not most. If you're not a rug, if you're not a rug puller, <laughs> yeah, we we want it. So let me put it this way: at Thought Leader Podcast, we want to help people. So we created this thing called the Resonate Engine, which basically helps you if you're an expert in in some field and you have a business and you want to grow that business and not pay for advertising and not spend endless hours on social media and not do all that stuff that all the so-called experts are telling you take a look at resonateengine.com now i have an analogy for that randy if you have your smartphone in front of you and you're playing some tune like i don't know one of mariah carey's hits or something like that and you really you know you just want to you just want to hear it a little bit louder stick it into a water glass without the water in it of course an empty water glass put it in there and all of a sudden it resonates pretty simple or if you take a tuning fork and you stick it on a table all of a sudden the whole table resonates that's the idea here that's what it's all about so we're not going to spoil your your fun go there's a couple of videos you got to watch them all we even talk about dead horses which is a kind of weird thing to talk about but take a look don't beat them let us know what you think Thank you.